The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Hey, church. It is good to be with you on Palm Sunday morning. Uh, it's been a long week, and uh, we, we've had some tragic events this past week. Uh, we've seen over 6 million people filing unemployment. Uh, we lost our dear friend Tim Russell. Um, I know that Michael Davis's aunt was uh, confirmed uh, positive or tested positive for the virus and uh, friends, and we know it's not over. Um, but we have somewhere to go. Uh, we have a message that can reorient our hearts and secure our hearts um, to something that is permanent and lasting and sure. And that's what we need during this time, especially. Uh, so let's go to God's Word. This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 41, or excuse me, 28 through 41. Uh, I'll begin reading. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on the way down uh, the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me as we go into his word this morning. Our great God, we thank you that you have not left us without light in the midst of this dark world. We thank you that you have not left us hopeless in the midst of a time that seems to be just that. We thank you that though it feels at times that you're far off, that you in fact are very near. Father, we thank you that you are a God that runs to the cries of your children. You are not repelled by our, our tears. You're not repelled by our grief. 
but you run to us as a loving father, even as a nursing mother tends to her baby, so you tend to us as your people. Thank you, O God, that we have hope. Thank you for your son Jesus, who entered Jerusalem for one reason, because he was madly in love with us, his bride. To win us to himself, he entered, that we might be a community of peace. Oh God, I pray in the next few minutes that you will open our eyes to yourself, that you would turn our focus and turn the, the affections of our hearts away from the world and onto you, that you would accomplish your will among us, O oh God, and that you would convince us of hopeful things because they are true things. O oh God, may we see Jesus, may we see him only, do that work for his glory and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, Holy Week begins today. And the message of Holy Week is one message. It is this. God is madly in love with us. And he will stop at nothing to reconcile his bride to himself and create in us uh, not just reconciliation between us and him, but reconciliation between us and man and even creation. The Lord Jesus, the King himself, has come to create a community of peace that even we in these times might experience that peace and spread it throughout the world. You say, Richard, where in the world do you see that in the text that we just read? Where do we see it? We see it right from the beginning. Uh, listen, in, in verse 1, we read, He went on before going up to Jerusalem. If, if, uh, this is the ESV translation. Some of you may like the NIV, some the ASV. There's a host of translations. But if we had a Memphis translation, I believe it would say this, Jesus went on up to Jerusalem. Jesus went on up to Jerusalem. And in those words, Luke is not just giving us a description, some, some, some bearing that we might understand the activity or the route that Jesus took from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. But in those words, what Luke is giving us is the reality that Jesus didn't turn his face away from the cross. Jesus didn't turn his face away from suffering, but he went on up to Jerusalem. And the very first thing that he does when he goes in Jerusalem in all four gospels um, is he goes to the temple. And in this passage, which we hadn't read, but if you keep reading uh, after verses 44 and 45, you see he goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers who are selling doves and, and, and animals as sacrifices. Why would Jesus drive the sacrificial system or the, uh, the, the, the sacrifices, the animals, out of the temple? Um, yes, there's a whole lot of meaning there. They were doing it for their own gain. They were not respecting the, the holiness and the, the sacredness of the temple and so forth, but there's more to it. He drove, uh, he basically um, ended the commodities market of the day because that's what he came to do. You see, Jesus was the lamb who was sacrificed for us. He went into the temple not to teach this time and not to offer the sacrifices, but to be the sacrifice. 
Friends, Jesus went on up to Jerusalem with you in mind and with me in mind. And in that, there is incredible hope. Jesus went on up to Jerusalem to be falsely charged with you in mind, with me in mind. Jesus went on up to Jerusalem to be thrown in jail falsely and unjustly with you in mind and me in mind. Jesus went on up to stand before Herod to be uh, beat and scorned, to have his back ripped apart with you in mind and with me in mind. Jesus was nailed to a cross facing the very the, the physical death that, that was the worst kind of death possible with you in mind and me in mind. Jesus went on up to Jerusalem to have a crown of thorns placed on His head, to be stripped naked, to be hung up before a city, to be utterly and completely humiliated, to have men casting lots for His clothes with you in mind and me in mind. And Jesus went on up to Jerusalem to breathe His last, to face the wrath not of a human court and not of human judgment, but divine judgment with you in mind and with me in mind. But Jesus went on up to Jerusalem so that on the last day, on Sunday morning, on the third day, He would get up from the grave with you in mind and with me in mind that we might have peace in times like this that we might not be governed by fear, but we might have peace, that we might be a community of peace to give the world a light that they desperately need. Friends, let's unpack these verses this morning to show us exactly why Jesus went on up to Jerusalem and what He accomplished. And the first thing we see is that His loving kingship is much more than just a feeling. It is backed by detailed, intentional acts. His loving kingship is not just a, a feeling. He doesn't just have affections for us. Talk is cheap, okay? Feelings are cheap. But He went on up to Jerusalem to show that He is King and Lord over death and over sin. How do we see that? We see it... Um, in, all throughout the Scriptures, we see it because this is the culmination of, of the redemptive work of God throughout all the Scriptures. We can go back to Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created us for Himself, that, that He uh, was so full of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that He exploded. He literally could not contain the love that He had, so He had to create a people. He wanted a people for Himself that would experience the reality of His love, the joy and the glory of His loving presence and His loving relationship. And yet, Adam and Eve chose disobedience. They chose to, to listen to the serpent and his lies. They turned away from the law of God. They turned away from the Word of God. They, in essence, put themselves in the place of God to determine how life was to be lived. And they rebelled against God, cheated on Him with a serpent. And yet, what did God do? Yes, He cursed humanity, but in the midst of that curse, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we read this. God declares, I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his 
heal. And, and, and theologians uh, throughout the centuries, throughout the ages, have referred to this passage as the proto-euangelion, the first gospel. What God is doing in these words is, is, is remarkable because this is how typical relationships work. When there's a bad breakup, when there's a divorce, the two sides go their separate ways and try to get the other out of their heads. Uh, and, and over time, the wounds heal, or they're at least covered over. They never really heal. They're covered over. And, and yet, in this case, God didn't go away and sulk. He determined in His heart of hearts that He would win His bride back. And the rest of the story from Genesis 3.15 on through the end of Revelation is the story of God winning His bride back to Himself. And what we see here in these verses, when Jesus goes on up into Jerusalem, He is going on up with a heart of love. He is going on up to fulfill what He promised in Genesis 3.15. He's going on up to strike a death blow to the head of Satan and to his work, that he might bring peace among himself and men. He might reconcile us to himself. This is love, not that we love God, so says John in 1 John 4.10. Not that we love God, but this is love, that he loved us and gave his one and only Son as a propitiation for our sins. This is love. What is love? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, friends, He came with you in mind, with me in mind. He came with a heart of love, and it was intentional. Everything He did during that week, even the, the ridiculous uh, story of this, this donkey, this young donkey, this foal, this, this, this baby donkey. It's like, why, do we, why is that so important? It's important because Zechariah prophesies it as detail. In Zechariah uh, 9, verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you see what's playing out here? Some of you may have lost... Uh, girlfriends in the past. Maybe you've lost a bride. I have a friend who, who lost his bride and yet over time won her back. This is the story. Most of those uh, intentions don't work out. <laughs> Most of the, 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 the plans to win back a girl or to win back a guy don't end very well. But this one ends well because God is the God of history. He's the God of our hearts. He's the God of the details, and we see it here. Even down to how Jesus goes on up to Jerusalem is determined. He goes on up on uh, the, 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 the foal of a donkey, the colt uh, of a donkey, the, a baby donkey, and his bride completely missed it. Why? Because they were looking for a king who would ride into Jerusalem to bring earthly change. They were looking for someone to come in and knock off Herod and be the new Herod and therefore arrange the city, um, uh, the economy of the city and every aspect of the city for their benefit. And yet Jesus goes in for so much more. 
Um, He goes in not to free his people from earthly oppressors and, and to be an earthly king, but he goes in to conquer death itself, sin itself. You see, Jesus goes in for the ultimate victory because he knows that kings come and go. um, Politicians come and go. Political parties come and go. Presidents come and go. Senators come and go. But oh, dear friends, the King of kings and the Lord of lords does not come and go. He reigns supremely on high. And friends, that's what we need right now. Even our president, even our Congress, in, in the a $2 trillion stimulus package can barely even put a dent in the kind of suffering that, that we have across this country and that we will have. And they can do practically nothing for the deadly nature of the coronavirus. Oh, but we have a king. We have a king who doesn't just sit on the throne, who is not dependent upon a Congress, a House and a Senate, but we have a King who reigns on high, who came to bring not worldly comfort, but eternal peace. We see it in Luke 9, 51, that that was the the very effort and determination of Jesus. Luke tells us in chapter 9, 51, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. He is setting His face toward Jerusalem like a flint. He is determined to win real victory, real prosperity, real healing, real peace for you and me. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What what was this joy that was set before Jesus? What was the joy set before Him that was driving Him to go on up to Jerusalem? It was you. It was me. Can you fathom that right now? That the God of heaven and earth has you on His heart and me on His heart to win us and to secure us to Himself for all eternity. Does God seem distant to you right now? It's because you and I are looking for physical deliverance, financial deliverance, deliverance from the need of social distancing. We are looking for comfort in the here and now, and yet Jesus is here and now. And He gives us a comfort that only He can give, that one day, someday, because He went on up to Jerusalem, because He did not despise the cross, because He rose on the third day after dying, that we will have a new heaven and a new earth. And God is not far off, but He is the lover of our souls. And He is deeply concerned for us right now and caring for us right now. This is the kind of king, the loving kingship that Jesus brings as He goes on up to Jerusalem. But secondly... This loving king is the one that we are looking for to worship. This king is the one that we have been looking for and we are looking for to worship. 
uh, really every man, every woman, this is what we're looking for. Behind everything else we worship, we're looking for this Jesus. I'm fascinated uh, by the, the rise of uh, this doctor um, uh, that has stood before Dr. Fauci, I believe is his name, um, who we see on our TV screens practically every night uh, showing up at the, the news briefings in the White House. And um, it, it's, it's so bizarre to me that he has become almost like an icon, a rock star among us. And um, the reason that he has is not because he's healed the virus, uh, but because it, it seems as if he has information that we can cling on to and live our lives by right now. He seems trustworthy. He, he seems to be one who can pierce the uncertainty and give us directives that we can obey and have life. And friends, that's what we're looking for behind every king that we look to, if you will. Um, we would say he might be the king of the coronavirus doctors right now, but, but we're looking to, for a king in everything. You say, oh, this is ridiculous, Richard. This is ancient uh, uh, concepts that we don't really... Um, abide by now and it has no real application to our lives. Oh, really? Then why do we call LeBron James King James? Uh, why did we call Michael Jackson the King of Pop? Why did we call Elvis the King? See, there's a king in every context. There's a king in a business world. There's a king in your office. There's a king in your city. There's a king in your neighborhood. There's a king of your hobby. There's the, the greatest runner, the greatest hunter, the greatest collector of this. There, there's always someone that we have to almost instinctively lift up and seek to emulate and we look to and we obey. We say, teach us, O wise one, and we obey. You see, worship that we see here in this passage as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people of God are praising Him. Blessed is the one, who, the King who, who comes into Jerusalem. Uh, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It, it, is this, it wasn't some orchestrated um, um, uh, um, uh, event it just was this natural event of God's people rushing, word spreading that Jesus is coming into the city. The Messiah, the one who's going to bring hope. Yeah, just in the here and now. That's what they were looking for. So they were falsely worshiping Him uh, to an extent. And yet, why were they worshiping Him? Because they were a people that need hope and must find someone to bring that message of hope to them. And friends, that is every human being that has ever existed. And yet what we see from this passage is that Jesus is the one that we can worship and He will not let us down. He's the only Savior, if you will. He's the only King, if you will, who uh, can do what He says, who can fulfill His promises, who really has us, who's really watching out for us, who's not just after his personal gain, but he's after the gain of possessing you and me as sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of King Jesus. He, he is after possessing you and me in a remade, a renewed 
heaven and earth. He will come one day someday to make all things new so that we as His bride are ushered into this home and this world that He has prepared for us. Like, like every husband wants their, their, their wife to have a, a palatial estate or a, a beautiful home or a, a nice place to live, Jesus will make this world new so that we might live with Him and experience Him and, and, and the reality of His love throughout creation from that time forth and forevermore. Jesus is worthy of our worship. And we see this especially in verses 39 through 40 when, when the, the, the Pharisees and, and the scribes, they, they came to Him and they said, that they rebuked it. They said, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them for, for saying these things, for saying that you are the king, for saying that you are the Messiah. And, and look at what Jesus says um, in uh, verses 39 through 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answers, I tell you the truth. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, built into, not just into us, but built into the very essence of creation is worship. You can see it all around you right now. It was hard a month ago or two months ago. However, we didn't have that, that harsh of a, uh, a winter, but, but you can really sense it now. I've literally, I feel like in real time, been watching the, the plants in my, my flower beds out front come up. I, I watch my Japanese maple. I can almost literally watch the leaves coming out. You can see the city turning green. And, and what is happening? Everything is coming to life, but it points not just for our, or it exists not just for our enjoyment, but it speaks of, of, of uh, one who is worthy of, to be worshipped, who's worthy to sprout a flower to, to sprout a, a yard, a, a green grass yard to, um, leaves to. All of creation is worshipping the one that made them. And yes, we can enjoy them, but the ultimate purpose is the glory and the majesty of the one that made them. Friends, you and I were made to worship the king, and he is a king who will hold us and, and sustain us even during the threats of the coronavirus. Two days ago, I had a, received a text from someone who suffers from a severe respiratory ailment. And um, they asked if, if I could talk, and, um, and I called them. And they told me that lately with this virus that they have really been wrestling with fear. Um, this person told me, I, I fear dying. I, I'm, I'm becoming anxious. I'm overcome with, uh, with fear. Um, and, and they said, and I know that I need to humble myself to God's word, but I'm not quite sure where to go. Now, friends, fear is simply prophesying, if you will, or projecting um, the, a negative future. That's where our anxiety comes from. That's where our fear comes from. It's from projecting and believing that the worst is going to happen. And that's how our bodies are literally responding to a prophecy, 
a negative prophecy, uh, uh, um, let's use the word negative prophecy that we are declaring. And yet Jesus has given us something better. It's the prophecy of his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, his coming back, him making all things new. And so I took this person to John chapter 11. And first, I legitimized their fears. I legitimized their anxiety. Yes, death is not how it should be. The coronavirus is not how it should be. We see this because in John 11, um, Jesus is, is um, speaking to Martha who just lost her brother Lazarus, who is Jesus's, if not best friend, one of his best friends. And we remember that Jesus approaches the tomb of Lazarus, and what does he do? Does he glibly just say, oh, come on, believe the resurrection, he's going to be right? No, he weeps. Jesus cried because this is not how it should be. We, our, our mind, body, emotions should never rejoice in death, but we should rejoice in the one who has overcome death. And so I took her there and I showed her Martha and I showed her how anxious she was, but then how Jesus calmed her fears. Listen um, to John 11 verses 23b through 27. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, oh, that's future, but I need hope right now. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in the world. Friends, we're having a bad, bad season right now. But there is hope. And, and our hope is not in finding a cure. Will that be good? Yes. Is that a good thing to hope for? Absolutely. But there's something better. Is it, is it wrong to hope that our economy will bounce forward, that, that somehow we won't all lose our retirement? That Of course, God is not rejoicing in, in any of this. And yet, the reason the king came into Jerusalem, the reason he went on up to Jerusalem, was to give us hope in this life. As fear projects a negative future, Jesus projects a confident, glorious future. And friends, it is so glorious that it can propel us even through the deepest fears that we have right now. The original worshipers worshiped Him because they assumed He would bring deliverance from earthly oppressors. And, and, and they assumed he would bring deliverance um, from the physical uh, suffering of life. And yet Jesus has done something incredibly more. He has delivered us from the need to be delivered from earthly oppression and narcissistic rulers and even diseases. Because our ultimate hope is not here, it's then. It's not in this life, it's in Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. And even though the worst might happen, we might die, immediately we live. And one day, someday, He's coming back to make all things new. And this will not even be a memory. It will not even be a blip because Jesus will reign and the glory in which we will live will wipe away all our tears 
and all the memories of all of this that we're experiencing right now. Jesus went on up and it's great hope. Thirdly, his, Jesus went on up and this king, uh, this loving king brings peace. His kingly love brings peace. We read in verse 42, And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Why was Jesus crying? Again, Jesus cried at the death of, uh, before the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, and Jesus dies before Jerusalem knowing that all of history, all redemptive history up to that point has led to this final week and that He would be the victor over death. Why is He weeping? Because He came to bring peace. We read it right there. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And if you heard it when the disciples were... Um, screaming, Hosanna, save us, Hosanna, save us. That's what Hosanna means. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. Peace. Jesus came to bring us peace. But friends, peace only comes through death. Peace only comes through suffering. The, the ultimate peace of being reconciled of between God, the reconciliation of God and man came through Christ Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He obeyed the law for us so that now He gets what we deserve, namely our punishment and condemnation. And we get what He deserves, perfect love, perfect acceptance, the Father dancing over us, in gladness and joy. And, and so friends, that is what, but, but we get that through His death and through His suffering, suffering and through everything that He's going to experience when He went on up into Jerusalem this holy week that we'll be fleshing out for the rest of the week. But friends, He didn't just come to make peace between Himself and His bride, but He came that we might be a community of peace you see, he knew that his sons and daughters would be sent out into a hostile world that worships self, that is violent because it wants for self, not for others. Uh, that it, it, the whole idea of competition, the whole idea of ego and reputation, that's what this world is all about. And, and to send a people out that will be about peace and will be about love he knew that those people would suffer. He knew that they would be persecuted. He knew that, that we would face severe opposition, want, and lack in this life. And so he is weeping. But this is how redemption works. It's how peace comes to the world. Think about it right now. How is peace coming to those that have the virus? How, how is peace coming to our society right now? Everybody's um, quarantined to their homes, except for who? Doctors, nurses, medical care givers, 
They are the ones that are walking into that hospital that, that are coming face to face with people with this virus, risking their own lives. Why? For peace and healing. The only way peace comes in this world is through death. The only way is through suffering. If you've ever been cheated on or, or had a friend turn their back on you, if you've ever been cheated on as a spouse, how is the only way for peace to come to that relationship? The one who's offended, this is the injustice, this is the unfairness. The one who is offended must die. The one who is offended must take the blow and, and say those healing and peaceful words, I forgive you and I still love you. Friends, this is who we are to be in this world today. This is the power. It's only the Christian who knows the, the hope that I've been, uh, that's laid out in this passage that I've been speaking about for the last several minutes. It's only the Christian who has the prophecy of a glorious future and a hopeful future that can be hopeful and who can bring peace in the world today. And yet, friends, through many times, we have failed. I, I read an article by David Brooks. He, he published it on March the 12th in the New York Times. It, it's entitled, Pandemics Kill Compassion Too. And the subtitle is this, You May Not Like Who You Become. And he gives a history of, of pandemics throughout the history of the world, um, culminating really to 1918, the Spanish flu. And he talks about um, how in these pandemics, we see um, not the best of mankind always, but the worst of, 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 of men's hearts. And um, he, he quotes, um, well, he writes this. Let me just read it. He, he writes, John M. Berry, the author of The Great Influenza, reports that as conditions worsened during the Spanish flu, the 1918 in America, Health workers in city after city pleaded for volunteers to care for the sick. Few stepped forward. In Philadelphia, the head of emergency aid pleaded for help in taking care of sick children. Nobody answered. The organization's director turned scornful. He, he made this statement. He said, hundreds of women had delightful dreams of themselves in the roles of angels of mercy and yet nothing seems to rouse them now. There are families in which every member is ill, in which the children are actually starving because there's no one to give them food. The death rate is so high, and they still hold back. And then he writes this. This explains one of the puzzling features of the 1918 pandemic. When it was over, people didn't talk about it. There were very few books or plays written about it. Roughly 675,000 Americans lost their lives to the flu, compared with 53,000 in the battle of World War I, in battles in World War I, and yet it left almost no conscious cultural mark. And he concludes with this statement, perhaps it's because people didn't like who they had become. Friends, what is this pandemic going to do to the church? What is it going to do to the church? What is it going to do to you? What is it going to do to me? What has it already done? Are we shrinking in fear 
afraid of uh, listening to every newscast, scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and, and reading every paper we can just frantically because we want to find some hope, we want, we want to be on top of it, we want to find control, or do we understand that we have power over the fear because Jesus went on up to Jerusalem. He lived, He died, He rose again. And friends, though we die, we will be with Him. And one day, someday, He will heal every disease. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Are we living out of that sure and certain hope? Or are we living out of the... the it may be a true... Death may come to us. But is that going to be the end of your story? Is that going to be the end of my story? Is that what's going to control us? Here is my prayer. My prayer is that we believe in a Jesus who went on up to Jerusalem to, to release us from the power of fear and death and shame and guilt. That we might live a life being loved by God because He reconciled us to Himself through His own flesh, His own blood, making peace between God and man. And we live in grateful devotion to Him as a community that brings peace to our neighbor and peace to the society around us. Hear me. I'm not telling us that we need to, to live frivolously and foolishly, that we need to just run out our front doors without mask on or gloves on. I'm wearing a mask. I'm wearing gloves. But friends, that must not be the end of the story. We should be a people who are not so concerned about ourselves right now, but we're more concerned about our neighbors. I, I watch my wife every day in the kitchen from 9 to 4 at her sewing machine, sewing masks for other people. Those are the kind of things we need to be doing. We need to be thinking about the, the elderly around us. We need to be thinking about um, those that are, are most um, um, vulnerable to this virus. We need to be thinking about those that are losing loved ones. We need to be thinking about our neighbors who are losing jobs and money. We need to be an element of peace and love in this society, in this present moment, that the glory and the light of Jesus might shine. We have the power to do it secured by Christ. The only question is, will we do it? Dear friends, may we rise to the challenge with joy and delight with our hearts full of love because we know that God's heart is flowing toward us in, in, in radical, outrageous, extreme love as exhibited with all the acts of Holy Week leading up to the resurrection which we'll celebrate next week. Friends, that's the hope of this gospel. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us hope substantive hope. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went on up to Jerusalem with us in mind. Oh God, may we so personalize that this morning. If there's someone here that has never believed that before, God, would you gift them faith to believe it? If there's someone here whose heart has been resistant to that reality, may you break through their skepticism, may you break through their hurt, and may they see you, the Lord Jesus, dancing over them in love. May they see the Father dancing over them in love. Oh God, free them, we beg. And we do so in Jesus' name. Friends, as we do every week, may we respond to the glorious message of the gospel as we uh, bring our, our tithes and our offerings to Him. 
I believe that you'll see a message on the screen of how to text to give. Um, as you text 73256 to downtown church, all lowercase, uh, no spaces, lowercase, no spaces, downtown church, you're going to see some options. And I would encourage you uh, to please give to our congregational giving or general fund um, just to, to help us move through this time financially. Uh, we've already taken a hit in our giving, and, and it is our prayer that, that we will make it through this time uh, keeping our staff intact and keeping our ministry intact. So uh, please give. If you can give over and above that, we have a mercy fund, you'll see. And we ask that you give to that mercy fund. Uh, we're helping a lot of neighbors right now, a lot of people in our own church uh, get food and even counseling because of the stress uh, to marriages and to individuals. So please uh, give and give more um, if, if you are able. Thank you so much.